Well, good morning, Rock Hills. It's so good to see you all here this morning. It's truly an honor to be able to worship alongside you today, and I'm so excited about what God wants to do in each one of our lives. I hope that you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, I hope that you were able to spend some time with family, friends, maybe even relax a little bit, watch some football, or at least put your feet up a little bit. And I know many of you, just like me, this was the year you weren't going to eat pie, you were just going to go salad, and all the lettuce has gone bad in the world. And so... God changed your plans there, and you had to eat the pie, right? Am I right? You had to eat it. Um, I, some of you stayed here. Some of you got to see family. Some of you, uh, like my family, we hit the road, and we went to West Texas and dodged our way through all the tumbleweeds and, and dust, but got to see our family over there. So it was a great time. And I don't know about you guys, but when the Harris family goes on a road trip, we have to have a good playlist, and that's been something that I've kind of done for our family uh, for years and years, is we need a good playlist to hit the road, to officially make it a good road trip. And I say that we've done that for years. Really, I've been doing that since I was a kid. I've always liked music, and I, I, was, one of those, uh, I was one of those kids back in the 80s and 90s that had the Walkman, right, you know? And... Uh, it's, it's funny how from generation to generation, the way that we consume music has changed. That's, that's what I was going with as a kid, right? When I was my son's age right there, I had that and I had one of these little zip-up bags full of my tapes, right? And I could flip through my tapes. But today it's all about a good Spotify playlist, I think. And actually, this is, uh, this is one that we have made available uh, through the Facebook page. But we've actually got a Rock Hills uh, worship playlist as well that has all the worship songs that we've done in 2018 that you guys can pull up uh, on Spotify as well. If you don't know how to do that, we'd be happy to help you. But uh, today it's all about a Spotify playlist. And some of you aren't familiar with Spotify. I understand that sounds more like something that you should rub on a rash uh, than something that you listen to. Uh, but Spotify is great. Back in my day, back when I had that cassette player, it was all about the good mixtape. Right? How many of you remember? How many of you put together mixtapes? How many of you remember listening to the radio, waiting for that song to come on so you could hit record? And you probably missed the first few seconds of it, but you listened for an hour just so you could record that one song that you were wanting. It wasn't like today on Spotify where you just search it and put it on your playlist. You had to work for it in those days, right? To get a good playlist. So some of you are too old to identify with Spotify. Some of you are too old to identify with mixtapes, but think of it in this perspective, a jukebox, right, uh, with you. But you can identify with that more as a collection of songs if you're too old to remember a mixtape. Now, if you're too old to remember a jukebox, you need to turn in your keys after church, okay? Because all of us remember the jukebox, right? And I'll stop there with the old jokes or I'll get an email uh, before the week. So I probably won't get an email. I'll get a letter, a handwritten letter. Okay, I really do need to move on. The reason I'm talking about mixes here is because we've been going through this series on Psalms and we go through worship and we go through lament and we go through thanksgiving that we've talked about the last three weeks. And Psalms is not to make it sound unspiritual, but it's a big mixtape. It's a big jukebox. It's a big playlist of songs that were written 
to express what we were going through to the Lord. Poetry and music. And many of these things, as you'll read in your Bible, it says they were sung. For the, for the early worshipers, this was their hymnal. This was their collection of spiritual worship to cry out to God. And there was worship where we're, we're praising God for who he is and giving him adoration. There was lament where we're saying, God, I'm frustrated and I'm heartbroken and I don't know where you're at, but I'm crying out to you. And there's thanksgiving that's maybe a little more specific than worship where we're identifying what God has done and we're saying, God, thank you for being faithful. So as we continue in the book of Psalms today, we're going to finish up this series we're going to continue to, to look at this. And we're going to look at one more set of, of songs that we find in the book of Psalms. And we, last week we talked about how worship is kind of our orientation. We have this perspective of who God is. And then lament comes along and our faith gets shaken a little bit. And we say, God, I thought you were going to do this, but now it feels like the, the floor was just pulled out from underneath me. And we have Lament that arises because we have a disorientation. Where did God go? And then we have a reorientation with thanksgiving where we're able to see God again and realize he was with us all along. And he was moving in our lives on the good days and the bad days. He has never left and it brings up this reorientation. Today as we look at Psalms, I want us to look at one more category. And it's really even a subcategory, but I think it's, it's pivotal and it's transitional because it helps us move from that category of lament where we've lost our orientation to the place where we can get to thanksgiving. Because we all hit those places in our lives where sometimes it feels like things are falling apart and we want to be in that next season where we can say, but look how good God was, but it doesn't feel so good in the moment. And I think that this next category of Psalms, which is really even kind of a subset of lament. It's a specific type of lament. Helps us move on to the next season. And these are Psalms of confession. We can find Psalms of confession in Psalm 6, 32, 38, 51, 102, 130, and 143. Now, take a good look at those, but don't confuse them with lottery numbers. All right? However, if you do, I see Sergio taking a picture. If you do confuse those with lottery numbers, the giving box is right back there in the back, all right? Just don't forget that. Uh, probably the most famous psalm of confession is Psalm 51, where after David has had this affair with Bathsheba and conceived an illegitimate child and then has her husband murdered to cover the whole thing up, I mean, it gets ugly, Right? I mean, even ugly by today's standards for sure. He goes and confesses to the Lord. And this is Psalm 51. But there's other Psalms of confession that David wrote. And one of those that we're going to focus on mainly today is Psalm 32. This was likely written by David as well. Starts out saying this in Psalm 32, 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered, Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. Now, just in these very two first verses, we can see a pattern that is going on, and that is this, blessing, sin. 
blessing, and sin. And we see that the acknowledgement of our sin is very closely connected to God's blessing. Now, now there's none of us in this room who wouldn't say, okay, if God can truly bless people, I would like that kind of life. I would like to live a life that is blessed by God. What we can see right here in these verses is David is living this out. Our confession of sin and God's blessing go hand in hand. The the opposite could be said too, vice versa. That when we refuse to acknowledge sin... We're putting ourselves in a place where we can absolutely miss God's blessing in our lives. Let me say that one more time. When we refuse to acknowledge sin within our lives, we put ourselves in a place where we will miss God's blessing. Now, we got a couple of issues with where I'm going with this. First of all, I've already said the S word, sin. And in our culture today, we don't really like that word. And even leading up to it, confession is really something that we push, push away against in our culture. It's not necessarily something we welcome into our lives because it just puts us in a vulnerable place where we say, ah, that's a little bit difficult. Or maybe even it brings up some religious past for you that you've tried to put in the past and you say, I'm done with confession. I I just want to have a relationship with God. Let me leave that in the past. But either way, confession can be something that we don't necessarily open up the door and just welcome to come on in. Confession can be something that's pretty difficult. So we're going to pass around the mic this morning. I'm just kidding. We're not really going to do that. Some of you are already getting uncomfortable because I've talked about sin and talked about confession, and you're thinking, oh man, should I get up and go to the bathroom or get a donut right now? I mean, it's a good time to leave. But I want to encourage you, stay and hear me out today because David portrays for us in the Psalms a passageway through confession to God's blessing. And if there's anything I want for you and for your family and for this church and for our community, I want the blessing of God upon you. I truly do. I want it upon myself and my family. And we see here with David that the passageway to God's blessing is confession. Now, the very concept of sin, which goes hand in hand with confession, obviously, It's not politically correct in our culture today, right? I mean, who are you to call anything a sin? Maybe it's a sin for you, but it's not a sin for me. That's the world we live in today, right? And even here within this room, we could have a debate. Well, don't call that a sin. You know, let's not call that a sin. Uh, I mean, what what are some other words that we could possibly use instead of sin? First one that comes to my mind is Let's just call it a mistake, okay? Don't say I sinned. Let's just say that I made a mistake. And can a sin be a mistake? Absolutely. You can make a mistake in your life that is a sin, but it doesn't mean that every mistake is a sin, right? One of my children, I won't tell you which one, but sometimes puts his clothes on backwards. It just happens, you know? Would I be the biggest jerk of a father in all the world if he got in trouble? How dare you do that? Can't you figure this out? 
That would be absolutely horrible. It's simply a mistake. And we love through it. We say, hey, let's switch that up. Let's go around the other way. Right? And for every one of us, there's things in our lives that we do that are just simply mistakes. But I don't want us to discount the things in our lives that are truly sin by us just dumbing them down and calling them mistakes. Or maybe we call it a struggle. You know, oh, this is just something I really struggle with. It's just the way I am. It's just the way I'm wired. I, I have a short fuse. I have a short temper. You know, this is just something I can't quite get past in my life. It's a struggle that I deal with. And it can be a struggle. Absolutely. There are things in our lives that we have to wrestle with. But I want to challenge you again. If it's sin, don't dismiss it by just saying it's a struggle that we have. We can tend to excuse things in our life. Because ah, it's just part of my personality. It's just my situation in life right now. We can say that sin is just a struggle. And it's true because we're all born with a sinful nature. So you are going to struggle with sin. But we still need to call sin a sin. We can even go so far as to call it an addiction. Isn't, it can, can sin be an addiction? Absolutely. Because that's exactly what sin wants to do. It wants to enslave me. It wants to take me away from God's focus and enslave me with its temptation. But what I'm saying in all of this, whether it's mistake, struggle, the way I'm wired, or an addiction, don't give a politically correct word to excuse in your life what you know is sin. Now, even as I was preparing for this message, I thought, oh man, this is, this is a, a message that I know some people aren't going to like. And every time I get that feeling, I thought, okay, you got to do it, Adam. I mean, God has put this on your heart. You need to share it. I was, I was just going to go through a different psalm today, but I feel like this is something that I need to hear. And this is something that we all need to hear that sin is still a reality in our lives, and we still have a God who has the solution in our lives to the sin that we face. We often see our struggles and addiction as being part of who we are. And part of the reason we do that is because then we can't be held responsible for it, right? It's just part of who I am. But sin wants to hold us accountable. We have to be accountable for the things we think, the things we say, the way we treat people, the things that we do, the things that we look at, we could go on and on and on and on, right? Sin holds us accountable for those things, but it's not necessarily something that's politically correct. As a matter of fact, in 2008, the Oxford Junior Dictionary removed the word sin from the dictionary and its explanation was this, when it got some kickback from that, this is what they said, quote, it had fallen into disuse and is not recognized by a younger generation. Now, this is the junior dictionary for kids, and they're saying, you know what? That word doesn't apply anymore. Now, we shouldn't necessarily get frustrated with the editors of the Oxford Junior Dictionary. It's our culture, right? We live in a culture that says... Yeah, we won't, we won't call it sin. It's okay to not call it sin. 
When we're comfortable removing sin from our vocabulary, then we're also comfortable looking the other way when it's in our life. We're comfortable in looking the other way when it's in our family and in our churches. When we don't acknowledge sin, there is no confession. And when there is no confession, there's no forgiveness. And when there's no forgiveness, there's no healing. And we miss out on God's blessing. Now, Jesus had paid the price already. We're going to celebrate communion here at the end of the service for our forgiveness and for our redemption. But yet he calls to us to come to him, to confess our sins, that we may be made whole, that we may have healing, that we may have the blessing of God in our lives. When we minimize sin, it becomes really dangerous in our lives. It's not a mistake. It's not just a slip up. It's not a struggle. It's not an issue that you deal with. We have, to be call, we have to be willing to call it what it is when it is, and it's sin. Unless we can come face to face with our diagnosis, we will never seek a cure, right? I mean, even if we're talking about health, if we aren't willing to hear the diagnosis, we're never going to get the treatment that we need. We'll never get the healing that we need. And if we aren't willing to come face to face with the fact that you and I are sinners, then we'll never be willing to reach out for the cure. So look at the person sitting next to you and you can go ahead and call them a sinner because that's what they are, right? St. Augustine wrote way back in 400 AD in his book called Confessions. And he said this, my sin all the more incurable because I did not think myself a sinner. Until you and I realize that we have a disease that is called sin. That without healing from that sin, without realizing that we are sinners, we will never have the blessing and the fullness of God. The goodness of the gospel is in direct proportion to our understanding of the badness of our sin. The goodness of the gospel is directly proportionate to our understanding of the fact that I am a sinner. It says in the New Testament, I am the chief among all sinners, right? To realize our need. We can never embrace God's love and grace until we first realize our own sin. And I say all that because that is the heart of these Psalms of Confession. That is David realizing that though God himself said, this is a man after my own heart, David realizes the only way I'm a man after God's own heart is when I realize what a broken and messed up person that I am. Without God's grace, without God's mercy, I am the chief among all sinners. It was likely more than a year that went by from the time David had an affair with Bathsheba until the time that he writes Psalms 51. Somewhere in between that time, he would have penned Psalm 32. We started with the first two verses, and I want us to read the next two here. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. David's unconfessed sin was producing side effects in his life. 
physical, emotional, relational side effects because he was holding it all in. And David is no different. He was flesh and blood just like you and I. And when we hold sin within us and we're not willing to confess it to God or sometimes to our fellow man, we hold it within, it will produce side effects in every one of us, just like David talked about here. Here's a few symptoms that we can face with unconfessed sin. As a matter of fact, I read a secular psychologist named Menninger uh, wrote this, not even a Christian. He said, 75% of his clients would never have to come back to him again if they would simply ask for forgiveness. Simply going to somebody and saying, hey, I messed up. Can you forgive me? He said 75% would never even have to come back again because they would find the healing that they needed in that. A few symptoms that we face, like David, when we live our lives with unconfessed sin. Emotional consequences, physical stress, anxiety, fatigue. David says he's carrying around this weight Some of you may be experiencing that. Some of you may identify, yeah, I can remember when that was in my life. But for some of you, you're living with this right now. For some of you, you've been living with this for generations. Just letting it weigh down on your life. Even from the perspective of secular psychologists, we see how this can destroy our lives. There's relational consequences. David had those in his life. We have those in our lives too. Do you have underlying issues with a sense of frustration with others? If you don't know if you do, maybe you should go home and ask your family. And they'll be like, oh yeah, you got got some issues, man. Some of us have just that because of what we've kept bottled up, it just makes us irritable with other people. Do you avoid certain people in your life? Are you defensive because you don't want to deal with it? Do you have a tendency to be critical of others? It's easy when you hold it inside just to, instead of dealing with it, just criticize everybody else. People who live under guilt and shame want others to experience the same guilt and shame that they feel every day. So even if it's unintentionally, they seek to make other people's lives miserable to bring them down to the level that they're living at. When we live with unconfessed sin in our lives, we also have spiritual consequences because sin puts a barrier between you and God. And God does not want to share you with your unconfessed sin. He wants you to confess it so it can be gone and so that he can have your whole heart, your whole mind, and your whole soul. Psalm 32, the first part of verse 5 says this, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my sins to the Lord. So I just want to ask you, what is it that keeps you from confessing your sin? And I will say sometimes, most of the time that's to the Lord. Sometimes you need to confess that sin to other people and make relationships right. But what is it that keeps us from confessing our sin to God or to others. I would say it's this, it's pride. We hate admitting that we're wrong. 
We hate admitting that we are the problem, that we have caused an issue. And it's easier just to look the other way and hope that it goes away. But we all know it doesn't go away. And God welcomes us to bring our confessions to him. Confession and humility go hand in hand. We have to humble ourselves in order to confess to God. Say, God, I am the chief among all sinners. I am a broken person. I love this section of scripture in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. It says this, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It's pretty bold right there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not within us. He makes it pretty black and white here. It is God's expectation that we confess our sin to him. If we say we're without sin, he's saying, you don't even get what this is about. But if you realize you're a sinner and you bring it to God and you say, God, here's where I need you. Here is where I have sinned and done the opposite of what you have I'm not living the way you called me to live. I'm not doing what you asked me to do. I'm not, I'm not thinking the way you want me to think. I'm not talking the way you want me to talk. I'm not looking at what you want me to look at. I'm not living my life the way that you have called me to live my life. I'm keeping quiet when I should speak up. I'm speaking up when I need to shut up. We look at our lives and we need to say, God, I have sinned. And verse 9 said, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That applies to you. And there's some of you here in this room that might think, but what I have done is an asterisk by that because God can't forgive me for that. I've asked him before. I want to say you need to forgive yourself because God is faithful and just to forgive you of your failures. And sometimes we hold a standard to ourselves that God doesn't even hold. Because you know what? We, we think, okay, God can forgive me, but I still need to be miserable. And maybe you've had somebody else treat you that way, right? Okay, I forgive you, but you need to be miserable until the day you die for what you did. Because I'm not going to forget it, right? Listen to part B of 32 verse 5. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Now, at first glance, that could kind of seem redundant, right? We could just take the guilt out. And you forgave my sin. But I think there's an important distinction there. Because God not only forgives you, God wants to lift the guilt and the shame off of your life. He wants to forgive you and he wants to heal you. For some of you, this this phrase right here, 
can transform the way you see yourself and the way that you see God. There's the broad concept of forgiveness of our sins, but the idea that God wants to release you of the guilt of your sins is a whole nother level. The idea that we are forgiven, but we still need to be miserable. That you messed up last week, last year, 10 years ago, but you still need to hang your head in shame. That is not the forgiveness of God. The forgiveness of God removes your shame and takes it away from you. And for some of you today, I want to encourage you, you need to leave your guilt and your shame at the foot of the cross today. As you confess your sin, maybe you, maybe you need to say, God, I've confessed it. I need to be free of this guilt. Maybe some of you today need to confess your sin to God. Maybe some of you today need to pull somebody aside or call somebody on the phone after church. You need to confess person to person. But it's time that we confessed our sin to God and received his grace. Listen to what happens. This is how David describes it. Psalm 103, verse 12, he removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. God removes your sin. It said back in 32, 1 and 2, that he covers your sin. And this is really an important picture because here's what confession does. Confession, you are uncovering your sin and saying, God, I'm not going to hide it anymore. I have sinned. I have messed up. You uncover your sin so that now God can come in and cover your sin with his grace. God can put his grace and his redemption over your sin. It says in 32.2 that he will not count your sins against you. In other words, he imputes, churchy word there, he imputes his righteousness. You are unrighteous, but when we confess our sins to God, Here comes his righteousness that now stands in your place. He forgives our sin. He removes the guilt and shame. And he puts his righteousness within our place. We're going to celebrate communion together today. And this is exactly what communion is to remind us of. Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. In other words, he's saying, I want you to do this physical, tangible act so that you will not forget the fact that you are a sinner, but the righteousness of God is imputed into your place. He, as you uncover your sin, his grace covers you. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your sacrifice that Jesus took on our behalf. Though, Lord, we didn't deserve it because we were a sinner. We are a sinner. And God, we are in desperate need of your grace. Jesus came and died on the cross. Lord, there's nothing that I can do to earn it or deserve it. But yet, Father, you give it freely. So, Lord, today I surrender all that I am. And, Lord, I confess that I need you in a desperate way. Lord, today, we want to celebrate your goodness and your faithfulness as we uncover our sins and we ask for your grace to come and cover us. And Lord, I pray for those who have not been able to shake the guilt of their sins. Father, they're living in shame with their heads hung low and their spirits are downtrodden. Father, I pray that you would bring freedom to their lives. Lord, may we be 
a people of repentance. In our seats right here today, in our families and in this church, Lord, may we be a people who continually bring our sin to you and refuse to hide it, to refuse to let it grow as a disease within us, Father. Lord, we ask this in your name. Amen.